Hello, you're listening to The Dietitian Cafe, brought to you by New Ultra, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. My name's Harriet Smith, and I'm a registered dietitian and founder of HRS Communications. The Dietitian Cafe is a podcast for healthcare professionals to learn from and expand their horizons within the world of nutrition. In today's interview episode, we're talking all things inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, including discussions around the importance of early diagnosis, how the MDT team works together in this area, and the common misconceptions that our guests regularly hear about IBD. This episode will also explore the work and research of Crohn's and Colitis UK, a UK-based charity that aims to bring awareness, support, and advice to those affected by these conditions. To discuss this exciting topic, I'm really pleased to be joined by two fantastic HCPs in the world of IBD, Rachel Ainley and Isabel Mason. Rachel began her career in London as a GP in the NHS and now works as a head of research and evidence at Crohn's and Colitis UK. And Isabel is a nurse consultant in gastroenterology at the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust, as well as IBD nurse development manager at Crohn's and Colitis UK. So before we go any further, I'm going to hand over to both Rachel and Isabel to tell us a bit more about themselves. Isabel, welcome to the podcast. Let's start with you. Morning, Harriet. Thank you. Um, I'm Isabel. And like you mentioned, I work as a nurse consultant in gastroenterology at the Royal Free Hospital in North London, where I lead our liver and digestive health nurse specialist services. And that's a combination of nurses who work in the areas of gastroenterology, nutrition, hepatology, endoscopy. Um, I've got a background with IBD and that I chaired the Crohn's and Colitis Specialist Interest Group for the Royal College of Nursing and was involved in writing the original care quality standards and did the first national audit of IBD nurse specialists across the UK. And I work in secondment a day a week for Crohn's and Colitis UK leading their nursing strategy. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Isabel. And over to you, Rachel. Thanks, Harriet. Um, Great to be with you this morning. I'm Rachel. Um, I have worked for Crohn's and Colitis UK for about three and a half years now um, across a variety of different roles. Currently, I'm the head of research and evidence um, and I lead our work across uh, research, uh, both funding research, patient and public involvement, uh, collaborations um, and uh, evidence and insights um, where we have a big focus on hearing from everyone living with Crohn's and colitis um, and having the insights uh, in order to drive forward our work um, and also quality improvement um, where I work with uh, Isabel on our uh, nursing activities and also a number of projects and programs um, to support quality improvement. Um, a big focus of our work at the moment, which we'll come on to talk about, is early diagnosis, uh, where we launched a big campaign in the autumn, um, but we'll come on to that later. Um, before I joined the charity, um, I worked for three years for the British Embassy in Beijing um, on UK-China health relations. Um, and before that, I, as you mentioned, trained as a, a GP in the NHS. Lovely. Well, it's fantastic to have you both with us today to discuss this important topic and help to raise awareness of IBD. Before we go into our real topics for discussion, I'd love to ask you a couple of quick fire questions. So my first question, let's start with you, Isabel, is if you could have a plane ticket to anywhere in the world, where would you choose to go and why? Oh, that's quite easy for me. I would go to Spain flying to Malaga. My partner is Spanish and my children are 
half Spanish and bilingual and we've just got a load of lovely Spanish family there so that definitely would be my first choice. Very nice and how about yourself Rachel? Uh, for me it will be a plane ticket to New Zealand um, I've been there a couple of times and absolutely love the country and if it wasn't so far away I would go there a lot more often. And fantastic my second question Isabel is who tell us about someone that's inspired you recently? So I think I'm going to be really boring and and talk about my work, but I've got a fantastic lead nurse for our alcohol services who's really transformed um, what happens in the hospital for people who come in with drug and alcohol problems. And he won a big award um, uh, about a month ago. So I'm going to say he's my inspiration. Lovely. Thanks for sharing that. Rachel, who inspires you recently? So um, I found this really hard to pick, uh, but I was going to talk about uh, Deborah James and the amazing work that she's done raising awareness of bowel cancer, which also has um, implications for us in terms of blood and poo being a key uh, symptom of Crohn's and colitis um, and all the fantastic work that she's done to raise awareness and fundraising. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And my final question, Isabel, what's your favourite film genre? Gosh, that's hard because I watch lots of films. I think I would have to say a bodice ripper, a good historical drama, I think. Um, Something that often links to books. I read a lot. So, yes, historical dramas. And how about you, Rachel? Um, This one's a bit of a reflection of having a five-year-old son. So (laughs) probably my favourite film genre isn't Disney, but on a good day it is. um, And that's what I tend to watch the most at the moment. So uh, maybe one day I'll get back to watching adult films. (laughs) Lovely. Well, thank you so much for doing our quickfire questions, ladies. We're going to now delve into our topics for discussion about all things IBD related. So we heard in the introduction that Crohn's and Colitis UK is a charity that works to bring awareness, support and advice to people affected by these conditions. It would be really great to hear a bit more about each of your roles within the charity. So, Rachel, perhaps we can start with you. Yes, that's fine. As I mentioned in my introduction, um, so I lead our work across a a few areas in the charity, uh, research, quality improvement and evidence and insight. Um, And it's a really varied role, really aiming to know um, as much as possible about the whole community living with inflammatory bowel disease, um, of which there are over 500,000 people living in the UK. We want to uh, support, um, represent um, and improve the lives of everyone living with Crohn's and colitis. So a big focus for me is trying to reach out to those people that we don't hear from um, so often um, and work out ways to engage them and ensure their views are heard um, and uh, represented in, in all of our work. Thank you very much. And Isabel, tell us a bit more about what your role involves within the charity. So my role is is quite a lot more specific. I run and work with another nurse, Lisa, running our nursing strategy. And um, that really is focused on IBD nurse specialists, which is a growing specialty for nurses to work in in hospitals. And as a charity, we know that IBD nurse specialists transform the patient experience when they have contact with them um, whilst they're having hospital care. And the charity's aim is that everybody living with Crohn's and colitis have access to a suitably qualified IBD nurse specialist. So we run a programme that really aims to get to that, which is around career development, around education, around support for IBD nurse specialists across the UK. 
Okay, interesting. Thanks for giving us an overview of your roles within the charity. Uh, I want to take us back, back a step and start with the basics, Isabel. I'm sure lots of our listeners, bearing in mind that many of them are health professionals, are well aware of IBD. But for those who perhaps need a quick refresher, could you briefly explain exactly what Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis are? Yeah, so inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, it describes a group of gastrointestinal disorders. The ones that people recognise mainly are Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And they're autoimmune, so immune um, gut-related immune illnesses that are often characterised by unpredictable bowel habit, chronic inflammation in the bowel, and they have fluctuating periods of activity and remission. So patients can be well and then have periods where they're very unwell. And during the times that they're unwell, they get a whole variety of symptoms that really impact on quality of life and their daily activities, the ability to work, to function in social situations, have relationships regularly so they really are um quite a significant long-term condition okay and rachel just how common is ibd in the uk how many people uh, are living with these conditions approximately so we commissioned a piece of work um, a few years ago to look at the epidemiology of inflammatory bowel disease in the UK with the University of Nottingham. And the report um, uh, which came out last year showed that uh, one in 123 people have Crohn's or colitis. So that's over 500,000 people um, in the UK. Um, but we also know that as the population is aging and more people are living longer with Crohn's and colitis, that uh, prevalence is uh, going to increase over the coming years. Okay, and are there certain ages that you more commonly see people being diagnosed with these conditions at, Rachel? So people are usually diagnosed between the ages of um, 18 and 40, uh, but uh, and Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis can start at any age, um, but usually they start before you're 30. Uh, we do see another peak um, in sort of the ages around um, 50 to 60, um, but the most common age to be diagnosed is when people are young adults at the beginning of their careers. And just following on from, from that, Rachel, can you talk us through some of the most common causes and also some of the symptoms that you see in people living with IBD? Yes, of course. So um, in terms of causes, as Isabella said, these are immune mediated conditions. So they happen when, when our body's immune systems go wrong um, and uh, the immune system starts attacking the body. We don't know exactly why this happens in inflammatory bowel disease, um, but it's probably caused by a mix of genes and the environment like germs, smoking, diet, stress. Um, but uh, there is a lot of research going on um, into, into the causes of Crohn's and colitis. Um, in terms of symptoms, um, people get a range of gut symptoms um, from uh, blood and poo, uh, abdominal pain, uh, frequent and urgent diarrhea, um, but also people can prevent, present with a wide range of symptoms outside the gut. Uh, from mouth ulcers to skin problems uh, to uh, swollen, uh, painful joints um, and eye symptoms. So quite a wide range of symptoms. And often the symptoms outside the gut, the extra, extra intestinal manifestations can start before the gut symptoms. So it's something that we want people to be to be aware about in terms of the whole body um, effects of the conditions. 
Interesting. And that's obviously part of the reason we're doing this episode today to really raise awareness of IBD. Um, I'm interested to hear, Isabel, in your role, what are some of the most common questions or misconceptions that you typically hear about IBD? I think probably the most common one is where people confuse it with another similar term, which is irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS. And that means that they think, and that may be healthcare professionals and people living with it that confuse it, where an IBS is what we call a functional bowel disorder, where there isn't active inflammation. And because of that, people can often think, oh, this is just my bowel behaving badly, um, that this is something that everybody lives with, that I don't need to report or action. Um, I think more widely, there's just generally people don't understand what Crohn's and colitis are in the wider population. And that has a real impact for patients because they don't, maybe their employer or their friends and family or neighbours really don't understand just how difficult it can be sometimes living with Crohn's and colitis. Um, And that generally widely, it's not a topic that people share and talk about which means that things are often hidden hidden in toilets um, and not spoken about yes that's interesting and i know you've been doing a lot of campaigning at crohn's and colitis to really um you know cut through the confusion and uh, encourage recognition and early diagnosis of these conditions and actually um, at the end of last year you launched a campaign called cut the crap So, Rachel, can you talk us through this campaign? What did it aim to achieve? So the Cut the Crap campaign um, really aims to get people uh, who are living with symptoms in the community and don't have a diagnosis to think, could this be Crohn's or colitis? Um, It empowers them to uh, complete a symptom checker on our website, uh, which was developed in partnership with healthcare professionals, um, which in just 30 seconds can tell them uh, whether they could be suffering from symptoms of Crohn's or colitis and whether they should contact their GP and helps empower them to to talk up about symptoms, which as Isabel was saying, can be very difficult for people um, to to talk about to, um, to healthcare professionals and to their friends and family. So we heard from people, from young people uh, living with symptoms that that was something that they would find really empowering um, to to help them have those conversations. Um, So we know that um, for people who who receive a diagnosis of inflammatory bowel disease, over a quarter of them have been waiting for their diagnosis for more than a year. And that's just far too long. People end up in A&E while they're waiting for their diagnosis um, and their ability to uh, continue their education and work um, can be severely impacted during that time when they're waiting. So what we really want to do is get people to talk to their healthcare professional as soon as possible. And that's the the public side of the campaign. Uh, We're also working with uh, politicians and policymakers, um, speaking up for people um, as to why early diagnosis is so important. Um, And the third stream of the campaign is is what we're doing today, talking to healthcare professionals, um, not just those that routinely see people with um, inflammatory bowel disease symptoms, um, but those who might be seeing people um, who've been told they've got a diagnosis of IBS, um, irritable bowel syndrome, but actually has IBD been ruled out? Do we need to to think about uh, doing uh, a test such as a faecal calprotectin stool test to make sure that we're not missing something? And this is a question to you both. Isabel, let's start with you. Tell us a bit more about why early diagnosis of IBD is so important. 
So if we just start from um, a nursing perspective, it's really important because the earlier we start treatment, the more, um, the better the clinical outcome, the better patients do. Um, patients who are late to diagnosis often um, require more at more serious levels of treatment, be that medical or sometimes operations. And so the earlier we can get on and treat, and there are really good treatments now for Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, the earlier we can treat, the better they do in terms of outcomes. Um, I think more broadly, though, it's what Rachel touched on earlier, which is living with these symptoms when you're not diagnosed and you're not having treatment is really challenging. Um, you can have terrible problems of abdominal pain, of cramping, bloating, wind, losing weight, struggling to eat. And other symptoms more widely, like fatigue, joint pain, mouth ulcers, and, and these just have such a significant impact on people's quality of life. It also has an impact on us in the NHS because it means that people are attending A&E regularly or they're going to their GP regularly and struggling to live with what are really difficult symptoms. So the earlier we diagnose, the better it is for patients, for their clinical outcomes, but also for us in the health service. Thank you. Rachel, let's hear about that from your perspective. Yeah, as Isabel said, um, the key here is to, to get people as early a diagnosis as possible, because we know that uh, when people are uh, diagnosed late, uh, they need more surgery, they need uh, more intervention. Um, so it's in everyone's interest uh, to get people an early diagnosis. Uh, it has benefits for the yeah, significant benefits for the individual, the NHS and for society. Um, if you look at the economic costs as well of people uh, living with um, undiagnosed symptoms affecting their affecting their life. So we've talked a lot about why early diagnosis is so important, but Rachel, IBD, um, you did a survey of the UK in 2019 and found that more than a quarter of people with Crohn's and colitis wait around a year or even more to be diagnosed. So what do you think are the reasons for that delay in diagnosis? Yeah, so there's multiple reasons for the delay in diagnosis um, from patient delays uh, when people are living with symptoms that they haven't even thought could be symptoms of Crohn's or colitis. And that's really what our public campaign is aiming to change. We want more people to know about the symptoms um, and when they are suffering from them to be uh, empowered to go and speak to a healthcare professional and ask them if these could be symptoms of Crohn's or colitis. Um, we then know that there are delays um, in the system in terms of getting uh, from a healthcare professional um, into secondary care where people are diagnosed uh, with Crohn's or colitis. Um, there's, there's delays in people in healthcare professionals recognizing the symptoms, which is uh, what we are also aiming to shift with our support for healthcare professionals. And we have a range of resources, which I'll come on to later. Um, and then delays, we know that the NHS is struggling at the moment. We're hearing from people living with the conditions that are there are long delays for them once they're referred into secondary care and waiting for that all important um, endoscopy to confirm their diagnosis. So a range of delays um, of which we are we are trying to um, trying to support um, professionals and patients throughout that pathway to um, to shift that. 
Interesting. We did touch upon the symptoms earlier in the episode, but Isabel, talk us through some red flags which health professionals should be aware of when talking with patients about symptoms. So I think there's several things, really. The first is to really get a good history from the patient, ask them really clearly. Um, And sometimes they'll be reluctant to talk to you as a healthcare professional as much as to anybody else. I can't tell you, Harriet, how many times patients apologise to me for talking to me about what goes on in the toilet, about how often they poo or what their poo is like, what their tummy feels like. And I constantly say, you know, don't worry, I hear about this all day, every day. Um, It's really important that you um, get to a point where the patient can be open and honest when you're having a conversation with them. And then after that, it's really about listening to the nature of the symptoms that they've got, how long they've had them, and whether they wax and wane, periods where they're better and periods where they're worse. There are some really important red flags um, for Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, and they would be bowel frequency, how often are they going to the loo? And particularly if they're waking at night, if it gets them up from their sleep to go and, and sit on the toilet, then that's a real sign. Um, Bleeding, rectal bleeding, weight loss are really important. Uh, Patients with irritable bowel syndrome, which is the functional bowel problem that often people can have, they won't have those alarm symptoms in the same way. So it's listening to those things and also symptoms, as Rachel touched on, outside the bowel. So mouth ulcers, sore joints, funny rashes or boils on their skin, sore eyes, they're all really important too. So that's really interesting, Isabel, because some of the symptoms you mentioned do overlap with other diseases or conditions like you mentioned earlier, IBS and also um, sometimes bowel cancer. So talk us through some of the conditions that patients might get mistaken for having or perhaps dismissed as having. So the big one is irritable bowel syndrome. So that's, um, again, as I said, it's a functional bowel problem. That It's certainly a bowel problem that causes lots of symptoms and distress to patients. But it's not, a, it's not Crohn's disease and it's not ulcerative colitis. The other common bowel symptoms that we're thinking about when people have a change in bowel habit are celiac disease, um, are, um, bowel cancer, absolutely, like you said diverticulitis or diverticular disease, colonic polyps, things like that. But um, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis often, they're younger patients who really have quite significant symptoms and they're inflammatory in nature. So those that kind of feeling that this is something inflammatory um, is often what, what you can hear when you take a good history. So we've talked a lot about early diagnosis and recognition of the symptoms, but it sounds like a multidisciplinary team approach is really important for ensuring that early diagnosis. So Isabel, talk us through how you think that ideal MDT should approach this scenario for patients. In in primary care, in, in, in community care, there is definitely a need for a good approach. It, you, People living with these symptoms may meet a whole host of healthcare professionals from their GP to advanced practitioners in their GP surgery, dietitians, pharmacists. And what's really important is that we try and make sure that those healthcare professionals 
really have Crohn's and colitis on their radar and are really thinking about it in terms of diagnosis. But also once people are diagnosed with Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, they have some understanding about managing it, but also managing it particularly when patients are going through a relapse, so when their symptoms are more difficult. In hospitals, we now have a really strong message that multidisciplinary care is um, the really the most important way of managing patients. And that's because there's such a host of issues that need to be addressed. And so most IBD teams in hospitals will now have doctors, IBD nurse specialists, which is my area, who are really important, who are often the glue in the system, the first point of contact people who really see patients at all points in their journeys. But also dietitians are really important, pharmacists, psychologists. We need to have a real, like lots of long-term health conditions. We really need to have a multidisciplinary approach so that we can manage every area of of lives that are affected by living with Crohn's and colitis. Thank you, Isabel. And you did mention dietitians in your answer just then. And Rachel, I want to expand on that in a bit more detail, because as you know, we're on the Dietitian Cafe podcast. Many of our listeners are indeed registered dietitians or training to be dietitians. So talk us through, Rachel, what the role of the dietitian is in ensuring our early diagnosis of IBD and which other healthcare professionals should they be engaging with during this process? So for the majority of people um, who are presenting with bowel symptoms, their first port of call is going to be their GP. Um, For those people that are diagnosed with uh, irritable bowel syndrome, um, a proportion of those will go on to have a referral to a dietitian. Um, And we think this is a really key opportunity uh, for dietitians for that sort of pivotal role to actually take a step back and say, is this irritable bowel syndrome or could this be inflammatory bowel disease had the right tests been done um, to exclude that Um, because as we all know IBS is a diagnosis of exclusion Um, so having having that awareness of the symptoms um, and uh, also the um, uh, ability to to challenge and say to the GP have you considered this so I think that that key um, relationship there would be between the dietitian Um, the patient and the GP um, in terms of early diagnosis. Mm, Interesting. And uh, you you mentioned in your answer about making sure that key tests have been done. Isabel, can you tell us what those key tests are likely to be and and any questions that dietitians should be asking patients that they suspect might have IBD? So to start with the questions, rather like I said before, it's really looking for those triggers. Um, So symptoms that aren't settling with straightforward management, um, abdominal pain, waking at night to have their bowels open, weight loss, those and other inflammatory signs which are really important. If Crohn's or colitis is suspected in in primary care in the community, there's a really easy poo test called a faecal calprotectin test, which um, measures intestinal inflammation. It's really quite specific and sensitive. It's a good test that NICE recommends and it gives you a value. So you take a sample of poo from the patient and it comes back with a a numerical value. If if the the number is under 100 as a result of the test, 
that tells you it's most likely to be irritable bowel syndrome and there isn't significant inflammation. But if it's higher than 100, then that's either borderline or absolutely specific for Crohn's and colitis. And it's a really easy test that anyone in the community can suggest or can organise and really gives you a pointer um, for action for the GP if it's raised. That's really helpful. Thank you, Isabel. I'm wondering, Rachel, do you have any resources on the Crohn's and Colitis website that uh, provides a bit more support for anyone listening who'd like to know more about early diagnosis, symptoms to be looking out for, and generally how to support their patients? Yes, and we've been expanding these resources um, over the course of the last year. So on the Crohn's and Colitis UK website, which will include a link to uh, with the podcast for those listening, we have a range of resources for community healthcare professionals. Um, we have uh, developed a toolkit with the Royal College of General Practitioners, uh, which has just been updated. Um, in, and that includes a CPD module that is available uh, for free to all healthcare professionals, um, as well as some short uh, fact sheets called uh, NUBS, New Useful Bits, um, which cover early diagnosis, flare management, um, and a more uh, holistic approach to caring for people with IBD, um, as well as a podcast. And we also have a collaboration with Envy Medical. So they also have a range of uh, resources on our website, um, including uh, CPD modules, podcast, um, and a webinar that we did with them in October. And we'll be continuing to uh, invest in these resources. So please do take a look. Fantastic. And we've linked to the Crohn's and Colitis charity website in the show notes so you can have a look at the website and explore those resources in more detail. Isabel, have there been any advancements in the tools available to diagnose IBD in recent years? So the first step, which I talked about previously, is this stool test, the faecal carbotectin test, which is relatively recent. And um, I think uptake of it is much better now in primary care but we really need um, healthcare professionals to be aware of it and use it more once they get to hospitals yes absolutely we still rely quite on quite traditional tests too such as um, colonoscopy or flexible sigmoidoscopy which are those camera tests where we look into the colon to look for information but also now we have much better tests particularly for Crohn's disease, which looks at beyond the colon. So clever ultrasound, clever MRI imaging, capsule endoscopy, all of which really helps us to diagnose people who have perhaps um, more difficult to find Crohn's disease. So yes, there are lots of tests available um, and they're developing all the time. Brilliant. Well, that's really great to hear. And we've talked a lot about diagnosis of IBD in today's episode, but I'm wondering once patients have received their diagnosis, typically what are the next steps for these patients, Isabel? So if they're still in primary care with their GP or their community dietitian, maybe, then the next step will be um, an urgent referral into the local gastroenterology service. 
and um, hopefully pathways into hospital care are improving and access is improving. But what we need to do once we get that referral is start the process of confirming diagnosis. And mostly that's done with what's called a biopsy. So a sample from their bowel that confirms Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis using endoscopy. Um, but once they've got that diagnosis in hospital, then there's a really important pathway that kicks in where they should see the IBD specialist team. Um, treatment started straight away, along with any other tests to really confirm the nature of it. And that's where IBD nurse specialists are so important. We know that 70% of them across the UK are involved in helping patients through that diagnostic pathway, not just ensuring all the right tests are done, but also giving information, linking to Crohn's and Colitis UK and all the important information for people. Because it's 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 quite a big thing to hear that you've got Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, although often patients are happy that they haven't got cancer. It's about helping them understand that this is a lifelong illness that needs regular treatment and what those treatments are and what impact it can have so once they get into the hospital IBD teams now should have that multidisciplinary response where we really support them through the diagnosis and just talk us through in a bit more detail the sorts of treatment options available to people living with IBD Isabel so treatment is medical treatment is always the first line um, so we'll use different medications and they the medications we use depend on the level of inflammation and the level of symptoms that people have. They can start with basic um, anti-inflammatory tablets or enemas, things up the bum. Um, they then step up sometimes for a short period. We, might, we may use corticosteroids just to get things under control. And then after that, there are series of steps using drugs that impact on the immune system. And that comes back to what it is. If we know what we know is that um, IBD is your, the immune system in the bowel slightly out of control, um, over, over responding. So we use uh, immunosuppressants, um, tablets like azathioprine or mercaptopurine. And then now there's a whole range of what are called biologic treatments, which are treatments that impact on that autoimmune response. And they can be as infusions or as injections that people take in the mid to long term to keep their, um, keep their symptoms and the inflammation in their bowel at bay. They're really impressive treatments that have really changed how we can manage people. Occasionally, people still need to have operations, surgery to remove areas of inflamed bowel. But with good medical treatment, surgery is becoming less common. Um, and that's why, right back to the beginning, it's so important that we diagnose people early so that we can get onto those treatments and avoid operations in the long term. Uh, and we've talked a lot about the medical treatments, but what about diet? Does that play a role in managing these patients? And if so, do patients with IBD typically see a dietitian? And what's the role of the dietitian in this process? Absolutely, diet is incredibly important. I could not 
think of one patient that I speak to who lives with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis who doesn't think that diet has an impact. And also it's very important because it's one area of their day-to-day living that they can control, that they can have influence over. So all patients with Crohn's and colitis will ask about diet, will ask about what they should or shouldn't be eating and if there are things they could do from a dietary perspective to help them feel better and stop them needing extra treatments. The evidence is that diet is really helpful as a treatment in Crohn's disease. So particularly small bowel inflammation, um, we have uh, Uh, very specialised liquid diets that we can use. And particularly, we use them in children and adolescents where we don't want to use strong medications if we can avoid it. So there are treatments that you can use. But also, it's really important to check people's nutritional status and help them with their nutritional status, particularly when they're newly diagnosed and they may have had a period of not eating well. Do they all need to see a dietitian? Well, the IBD UK national standards say that every patient at diagnosis should see a dietitian. We know that there are issues with access to dietary um, professionals, particularly in hospitals. There's not enough of them. And there is really good information on the Crohn's and Colitis UK website, which every single one of my patients uses. I think it's one of the most popular areas of our information offer that people look at to talk you through um, living with IBD and it diet. But yes, uh, certainly when patients have got dietary red flags, nutritional issues, they should all see a specialist dietitian. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Isabel, for sharing that really, uh, really beneficial information with our listeners. Rachel, coming back to you now, Crohn's and colitis, of course, are invested in furthering research. And I know this is a a large area of your role. Can you share with us some recent projects you've been involved with, which will be of interest to our dietitians listening today? So I thought I'd talk about a particular trial that we are helping to recruit to at the moment uh, called the ADAPT trial. Um, Now, this trial is really looking um, at diet and the impact and whether we can use diet to reduce uh, gut inflammation in Crohn's disease. Um, So what the team are doing um, is enrolling people onto a new diet called the ADAPT diet and then providing them with snack foods that must be eaten during the eight week study. And the snack foods um, either include particular food additives or don't. Um, And what they're doing is looking at the difference between the two groups um, and whether uh, gut inflammation and gut bacteria um, uh, change during that time. And so it's a really interesting trial. It's a um, it's a large trial, a double blind resupplementation uh, randomized controlled trial. Uh, so we're following that one really closely. And we fund a, a range of research as well as uh, supporting people to get involved with research. Um, and this is something that, that we as a charity are, are really committed to moving forward um, the, the research landscape in our Brilliant. And in terms of future directions for research, Rachel, where do you think the future is heading? So a real area of unmet need that that, uh, people have identified to us is around fatigue in IBD. Um, And we are 
about to set up a new uh, collaborative network, bringing together researchers, people living with the conditions um, to, to try and push forward uh, research in that area. And we'll be looking at which conditions uh, to partner with. Obviously, a range of different conditions uh, people suffer from uh, fatigue, uh, and we want to uh, partner, partner with them um, and try and bring people together and make some real progress in this key area of uh, unmet need for people living with the conditions. Thank you, Rachel. And to wrap up our episode today, I would really like to ask you both what your final advice, thoughts, or perhaps a key message is that you'd like our listeners to take away from this podcast episode. Isabel, let's begin with you. So I think I would say, please think IBD, think Crohn's disease, think ulcerative colitis, have a relationship with the person you're seeing where you can really ask them and they can be open and honest with you about your symptoms. And then my second thing is just remember wherever you're working, there will be an IBD team in your local hospital. And that team will include IBD nurse specialists who are always available if you have questions, queries, they run advice lines where you can check things out or ask for more information or ask about individual patients if you're not sure. Make the most of them because they're a fantastic resource. Brilliant. Thank you. And Rachel, what's your final message for today? Yeah, for me, it's all about early diagnosis um, and really helping and supporting people during that time. So I think dietitians have a have a key role to play here if they're seeing people that they think they're not sure about that diagnosis of IBS um, and in feeling empowered to challenge that diagnosis um, and help people um, navigate uh, what can be a really complex journey to diagnosis. Uh, and we want to help and support both healthcare professionals and people uh, living with symptoms um, to, to get that diagnosis as quickly as possible. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much to both Rachel and Isabel for joining us today and uh, representing Crohn's and Colitis UK. I found it to be a really fascinating discussion. I hope everybody listening also found it uh, useful and beneficial for your CPD. A huge thank you to New Outra for making the podcast possible. If you enjoy listening to The Dietitian Cafe, please do remember to subscribe and leave a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more healthcare professionals. You can follow New Outra on social media at New Outra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening and our next episode will be out soon. Bye.